welcome to Conversations About Life. Thank you, Aaron, for being a guest on the podcast. Um, welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thank you for inviting me. And it's a pleasant morning here at Lamar Sculpture Park. And looking forward to getting to know you better and just talking with you about some things. So just as way of introduction, your dad and two, your other two brothers have already been on the podcast. And I, um, I've even asked your mom yet uh, once. Um, I don't know if the message got to her or if she just wasn't interested. But anyway, so... Um, <laughs> Your, your family is an interesting family, just articulate, and I you know, admire the character of the people in your family and so forth. So, And you're a, a part of that family. So as far as intro, I really don't know you very well at all. Um, as we were just talking, you're um, an auditor in a tech, with a tech business and yeah. so forth. Well, it has been, I can't even remember how many years it's been since we last talked directly. I do remember many years ago, I believe that it, it was you, working at like the Vest Soda Warehouse one day. One day, yeah. Yeah, that was a long time ago, but I do remember that. And I remember that you did photography. Um, like when Christopher and Amy, I think when they got engaged, you did their engagement photos. I think I did, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Known you for a long time, but it's been a long time since we talked, too. Yeah. And were you working that day at the Vest Soda Company that same day I was? Yep. Yeah. Okay. We, we were both, we just both sort of ended up on that temporary job. And yeah. Yeah. That's a St. Louis thing for you. You know, it's like you're going to cross paths with people in unexpected ways because it's just not that big of an area when you get down to it. Yeah. How else would you introduce yourself as far as just the type of person? that you are oh I probably should have thought of that ahead of of time Um, I would say I am a fairly introverted individual Um, I'm the kind of, of person that likes to go deep on a narrow variety of of areas um, if there's something that I become interested in, I become very interested in it, and I like to, to really dig deep on it. For example, back in like 99, 2000, when I was living out in Virginia, I decided to learn guitar. And so I've in a fairly rapid period of time, I went from the one guitar that I got by trading an old computer for, like an old used acoustic guitar, and then pretty rapidly I owned an electric guitar. I owned one of those big, like, programmable pedal sets that you could could use with a guitar. I had an acoustic electric guitar. I had subscriptions to multiple magazines. I had just, like, if, if I get into something, I get really into it. Um, and... I'd say that's that's probably a good starting point. I'm like that too. I even kind of think of it like a fever. Like when I'm in it, I don't even... It's something I don't normally like about myself, So though, even though sometimes it's been helpful because it is kind of like energy. Like mm-hmm. if I'm caught up in the right thing that I want to be caught up in, then it can really pull me along. It's like every... Um, you know, side moment or, you know, a a few minutes here or there, if I can just, you know, it's what I'm thinking about. And it, uh, so it's helped me get, when I was a photographer, you know, I just got caught up in photography and it became a really decent uh, way to make a living for quite a few years. Um, So I'm happy about that. But like sometimes it's like a side pursuit and then it just seems like, man, I wish I wasn't so... I wish I could be more moderate, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some, sometimes the, you don't choose the subject. The subject chooses you. As There's been times I've referred to things as putting claws in my brain. Mm-hmm. And it, it 
it won't let go of me. Mm-hmm. It isn't that I'm not letting go of it, or at least it doesn't feel that way in the moment. And then does it, at a certain point, you just drop it? At like a certain it, point, it just lets go. <laughs> Who knows why? Yeah. Um, and then are you married? I am not. No, I okay. have never been married. Okay. Um, so for me, you know, there are those little areas, but they're normally not like the fundamental thing that my life is all about. There are more like things that really captivate me, but they're kind of side areas. Like, like right now it's ultralight backpacking. So I'm, I got my sewing machine out. I found a sewing machine in the basement. I'm making gear. Got, um, I went to a rummage sale, um, where you know you could whatever you could stiff, stuck in uh, stick in a bag for a dollar you know that's how it was <laughs> and I found this huge um, playground parachute type of thing that kids play with uh-huh. I stuck that in a bag and now I got plenty of ripstop nylon to make uh-huh. backpacks and um, all kinds of hiking stuff you know <laughs> so that's what I'm into right now um, anything um, particular that's interesting as far as interest you've had over the years that you know yeah well my primary hobby for pretty much my entire life has been tabletop games mm-hmm. um, like board games card games that that kind of, of thing I also like computer games but like I remember my my mom telling me back when I was two years old when we were living in Iowa in the 70s you know I would go to the game closet and like pull out Monopoly or Clue or whatever and you know I was two I couldn't read I didn't know what these things were but I was completely fascinated with them and I would just sort of like put the pieces around on the board and move move them around without any regard to what you were supposed to do to play the game by the rules, just always fascinated by, by board games. And that has stuck with me. You know, when I was 10 years old, I got a copy of Axis and Allies, which is a, a uh, World War II grand strategy game that a lot of people have at least heard of, even if they haven't played it, because they sold it at Toys R Us and basic toy stores uh, back in the 1980s. And so that sort of got me started down the path of more heavier and complex board games. And so I've occasionally played in tournaments um, hmm. at various game conventions. I've never actually made it to the end and won any, any trophies, but um, I really get into board games for kind of two reasons. The first is that If it's a subject that I enjoy, I guess sort of dovetailing into what I was talking about previously, I enjoy trying to master it. So a board game is going to have rules to accomplish something, whether you're collecting points or in a more military-type game, you're trying to take control of physical regions on the map. Um in some games that are economic you're, you're trying to make the most money whatever the, the goal is the game is going to have mechanics rules mechanics for how that gets accomplished and I enjoy trying to, to figure out how to optimally act within those, those rules mechanics to kind of master alright if I'm trying to get from point A to, to point B what's the optimal way to, to do that um I've never really been into chess, which is a tabletop game that some people get really into. Mm -hmm. Probably because chess has so many permutations of moves that it's almost like too intimidating. It takes too long to master it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's right. It's more open. Um, So... um so I guess it's like uh, the competitive nature of board games, like you're kind of competing with yourself, you're competing with others, that that's the draw of it for you, huh? Yeah, there is definitely the competitive side to it, but also what I would call like 
the the rules mastery side where it's almost like you're competing against the designer to say can I figure this game out um, I gain a lot of satisfaction from feeling like all right I've, I've really figured out how to properly play this this game to a to a you know in an in an optimal way um, and I think that's because I'm a a systematic thinker. I like to learn and master systems. Obviously, board games have rules systems, but even like this is this might might sound really dumb and nerdy. But I remember when I was in college, I was working for one of the academic offices, and I developed a new filing system for filing paperwork in that office and it used these various color-coded folders and they it all meant certain things and so I like developed this ad- admittedly probably over-engineered system for the sheer joy of building an over-engineered system um, I've, I've always been a, a, a systematic thinker and I think that's one of the, of the reasons that auditing as a profession works for me because a lot of auditing is validating that things are being done in the proper way. Um, organizations develop policies and procedures for how they want certain things to be done. Um, there's accounting departments in, in companies that, while there are generally accepted accounting principles, there are various ways of applying those principles that are, are fine as long as you're consistent with it. So companies develop accounting policies so that accounting is being done in the particular systematized way that they want. So um, that might be more detail about my, the way that my brain works than you wanted. but <laughs> I can relate to the idea of systems like it's kind of a like making systems is kind of a creative endeavor and attractive. Um, like for for example that's part of um, the pleasure I'm having or the interest I'm having in um, ultralight backpacking it's like how can I um, put together a system that takes me through the wild um, with the light with lightweight that's effective where I can be comfortable but um, you know so it's a lot of working with details with ounces um, and material and and design. Um, so I I do need to, to interrupt and ask because I'm not familiar with that term. What makes it ultralight? Is there a certain I would guess weight limit that you can't exceed? Yeah, like normally less than ten pounds. So um, before food and water, like food and water can be um, pretty heavy. So just your gear, like your your shelter your pack, your sleep system, and whatever little tools you might need with that, less than 10 pounds would be considered ultralight. And these are for multi-day hiking trips? Yeah, so I haven't been on a multi-day hiking trip yet. I just go on overnight trips. Okay. But yeah, ideally, um, it would be having a, you know, a setup that would allow you to be out in the wild um, as long as you want it to be um, though you'd have to resupply and so forth you know gotcha yeah and then I guess like a, a, a three season setup would be different than a winter setup so you know but um, but I, anyway I can see the attractiveness of like putting together a system it's, um, or like something um you know, related to work, you know, something that all works smoothly and that's efficient and stuff like that. That's cool. Putting together a website is kind of like putting together a system, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Back in the early days of the web, I had a, a couple personal websites that I built out, usually related to tabletop games because <laughs> it's, it's kind of my thing. There was a, a time back like 25 years ago when that was the way that a lot of people first got introduced to the internet was through personal websites on GeoCities or, you know, whatever platform that, that people chose. There used to be a lot of that kind of, of stuff out there, but that's 
mostly long gone now. And it's like putting something like that together, the same type of pleasure that you, is it that like, is that putting together a system? Kind of. Okay. Um, it's probably a, a, a little bit different, but there is some systematic thinking in a good website around the way that it's organized, helping people find the information that they've come to that site to find. Um, you've probably been to some poorly designed websites in your time. I probably don't need to explain to you how frustrating that they are. Mm-hmm. Right. And then on the back side, organizing your, your code and your CSS. Though CSS may, may not have been a thing way back then, huh? Uh, CSS was coming into its own okay. back at that time, but I, I never dealt with it myself because I didn't need to for the basic stuff that I was doing. Yeah. Um, so on the other end, what about like if, if you lean heavily toward that way of thinking, um, what does art and more intuitive type of things mean to you? Is that, do you have an interest in that? I guess guitar kind of spans both things, though, don't it? Um, so I would not say that I'm like a, like a very artistic person. Um, there are certain art forms that I am more interested in than, than others. I've always been interested in music as an art form. Like dance, I've never cared about, like in, in any form. Um, that's, that's never been my thing. Visual arts, like sculpture, painting, I can respect it, but that's kind of not the way that my brain works. So I, I can have a hard time like really getting into it. Um, I don't have a lot of art in my own home. I have one original painting that I have just because it's like a painting of the Blue Ridge Mountains and I used to live in Virginia and I've always found the Blue Ridge Mountains to be very beautiful and so I have that more of a reminder of an area where I used to live Um, and then I have like some a few photographs and art prints in the house some of which, on the photograph side, I actually took myself and just liked the photos and got mm-hmm. them blown up and, and framed. That was back in the old days when photos were on like film, so you had an actual negative you could take somewhere and say, I want this photo in this size, print it for me, and they could do that. Yeah. Um, but I would say, like, I'm, some, some, some people are like really artsy, and I'm just not. Yeah. So these things, you know, the things that you've been interested in and so forth... They're like for me. They're kind of uh, they're important, but they're more they're not like that fundamental type of thing. So, for you, um, what is the fundamental type of thing that your life is all about? Fundamental thing that my life is all about. Um, I would say that kind of comes down to to faith and family. I am a born again Christian. I have been on that faith path for over 40 years Uh, and I'm 48 now so that sort of tells you that 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 started quite early Um, you mentioned that you've had these conversations with a number of my family members from my immediate family um, previously and so you know that I I grew up in a a very Christian family Um, you know we used to joke that if the doors were open on, on the building we were there um, that wasn't always true, but it, it felt true at, at various times. Um, but it didn't take very long for me to take on that, that faith in Jesus Christ as a conscious decision on my own and not just, oh, I'm a part of this family, and so we, we go to this church, so that's just what I do. You know, I decided that I was going to, to walk that path on my own for my own reasons. Um, so that's the, the faith side of it. Um, on the family side of it, even though I am not married and have my own family, I've always felt pretty close to my own biological family. Um, that primarily includes my brothers and, and parents, 
but I also have on my mom's side various cousins um, that I'm am close to. Um, in fact, one of those those cousins he was in the in the Marines as a career for over 20 years, um, but he is now out of the Marines and is living in the Kansas City area. And so, in October, I'm going up for a weekend to to visit with him and. Um, do whatever people do in Kansas City. <laughs> Eat barbecue. <laughs> Most likely a Jack Stacks visit will be in there at some point, yes. Yeah. Um, okay, well, Christianity, mm-hmm. why? So, at a fairly early age, I remember being in a Sunday morning class with other kids my age whether I was six or whatever. It was, it was something around that age. And I distinctly remember the teacher telling us about God and how God loves us. And that made sense to me. Um, I've all, I'm, I'm one of those, those people, I've always, for as long as I can remember, felt God's presence. Uh, I know that other people don't have that ex- experience, even people who have been been Christians for for many years, that's one of the things that they they struggle with. I've never struggled with that. I've always felt, you know, a, not necessarily a closeness to God, but God's presence. Like, even if I didn't want him there, (laughs) he was there. And so that whole concept of God loves you, I was like, yeah. I can see that. So how am I going to respond to that? You know, um, and I decided to respond by loving God back. And even at that time, I like didn't fully understand the whole concept of, you know, Christ's death on the cross being the substitution of paying the, the, the price for, for sin. Like I wasn't at that, that level yet. It was just more of the concept of, of God and, wanting to be close to God. Um, And this is one of those things where I've learned over the years with young children, I've never had to convince a child that God exists. Hmm. Even children with atheist parents. Like, I remember when I lived in Virginia, I have a cousin uh, for many years. She's lived in Bethesda, Maryland, which is like right... I was, I was living in Arlington County, Virginia, so right on the Virginia side of D.C., and she was in Bethesda, which is right on the Maryland side of D.C., so I, w- I would visit a- occasionally, and she and, her, and her, her husband at the time were very atheist. They didn't, didn't go to church, didn't believe in God, didn't want to have anything to, to do with it, but I was at their place for Thanksgiving one, one year, and they asked me to say a, a prayer, because that's sort of a, a thing that you do for Thanksgiving, right? E- even if you don't believe in it, you just follow the form. So I said this, like, very ecumenical um, prayer, and my cousin's two young boys were like, well, of course praying to God makes sense. So they immediately started praying, too, out, out loud, and their parents were like, what is going on here? And then they, they, they looked at my cousin and said, so, Mom, what are you going to pray for? And she was so, like, flummoxed, she couldn't even answer the, the, the question. But, like, those, those boys, like, of course they knew that God exists. Little children know that God exists. Um, it's not something that you really have to con- convince them. It's as people get, get older and they start being more focused on physical sensations what can I touch, what can I taste, what can I see what can I smell um, as the way that they perceive the world um, that that can can drop away for for people if it's not been reinforced but for me as I said I've always sort of felt God's presence, I haven't needed a lot of reinforcement even though I probably got it because I I grew up in a a Baptist church setting Mm yeah yeah it seems like it's kind of common for like um, some young men, you know, when they reach like um, early teens um, to, um, you know, have some kind of run in with religion and then kind of reject it. 
in, in kind of a simplistic way, it seems to me. And of course, it would be kind of simplistic because they're so young and so forth. But um, that's kind of, that's interesting. Um, so as far as like feeling God's, um, what's interesting about kids just naturally, you know, believing in God. So I haven't really thought about that much. Um, a lot of kids, you know, they're brought up told that God exists, mm-hmm. you know, but in that example, um, they weren't, I guess, at least from their parents. Uh, so as far as feeling God's presence, um, like, I guess what's, the, is that something that can, you can describe? Um, like when I, um, when I'm out, I'm kind of really, as I grow older, I'm appreciating the outdoors more because it gives mm-hmm. me just a certain feeling of um, when I'm outside, especially if the sky is kind of dramatic and there's a breeze or just whatever, you know, of um, there's just a feeling of uh, kind of a, a profound um, emotional feeling of just being out in the wild creation or whatever you know mm-hmm. and um but i but sometimes i kind of try to think you know because it's for me it's a little hard to, to so i believe in in god i'm a christian and, mm-hmm. and i have reasons for that and i'm confident in it but sometimes i just try to take myself step out of that and just kind of think well if i didn't have that those experiences and that background and so forth and I was just here you know what would I think would I just naturally gravitate toward there is a God behind everything that I'm experiencing here or would I not or what would it would it be but I don't know um, so what is it to feel God's presence what's that like so it's hard to put into words because it isn't any sort of physical sensation. It's just more of a spiritual sensation. Um, I have found over the years that the ways that the Bible describes the presence of the Spirit of God is actually quite accurate. Like the concept of the the still small voice. I've definitely heard that. Um, The fact that um, in the Gospels, you know, Jesus has that that statement. I can't remember the specific reference, but it says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. Um, Like when, when God tells me something, I don't have the whole like, oh, who is this? I don't, I don't know who this is. No, I know who it is, right? And a lot of that is because of what I'm being told. You know, God's not going to tell you to do anything or to, to, to think anything that is not in, in line with, with Scripture. Everything has always been along the lines of, now, you know you should be doing X, you know, you shouldn't be doing why, or just a feeling of comfort. Um, I've had that at various times in my life when I'm feeling down and I can feel just, it's almost like God is wrapping around my spirit. And I realize that might be a hard thing to, to visualize because there's nothing visual about your spirit, right? Um, but just sort of like, almost a spiritual warmth that'll envelop you. Um, But it's, you know, I can't say that, oh, it it feels like, you know, goosebumps or any sort of physical sensation because there isn't a physical aspect to it. Do you have any thoughts for someone who um, doesn't feel the presence of God and, like, perhaps they're just wanting to know if God exists? Like, how would you, do you have any advice that you would give to them? Advice for someone who wants to feel the presence of God. Well, the main piece of advice is if you have an empty space in your life, 
don't immediately try to fill it with something. So like, let's say that you're like, okay, I'm supposed to be somewhere in an hour and it'll take half an hour to get there. So a lot of people would like, oh, I'm going to watch YouTube for 30 minutes or I'm going to read for 30 minutes or something. Instead, just sort of be. Hmm. Um, because it is easy in our society where we have almost unlimited entertainment options. It feels like that, especially these days with our cell phones. It feels like, oh, I have five seconds of dead space. I'm going to whip my phone out and go on Facebook or Twitter or something to try to fill that, that void. It's like we're very anti having any open space in our schedule at all. We want to fill it with entertainment, even if it's completely mindless, just because we feel a need to have something going on every second of the day. Well, I would suggest fighting against that and leaving that open space for God's spirit to actually interact with you. Um, Because in my experience, communication with God is not the kind of thing where God's going to force it. He's going to try to overcome whatever else is is going on at at that time. Um, Especially like if I'm watching something on TV or watching a movie. I've, I've never really felt God like try to come through that because you have these like big bright pictures and there's, it's usually loud and there's a lot of stuff going on. And so, um, you know, God in my ex- experience has, has never pushed through that. Sometimes if I'm reading quietly without any music in the background or anything, um, I'll, I'll feel God communicating to me. Um, but I would say... You want to leave those open spaces open and not intentionally fill them and just sort of make yourself available for that communication. And if it's not something that you're used to, you might not recognize it when it first happens Uh, because it's a new sensation. You might be like, well, I can tell something's going on, but I don't know what, right? Do you you ask for it? (laughs) Do I ask for it? Yeah, or should would you would you ask advise someone? Hey, ask for it. Ask God yes. to reveal Himself. Yes, I would say ask for it. I mean, it says in in Scripture, um, you know, that we're supposed to seek after God. So, yeah, uh, specifically calling out to God. There's lots of of stories over the last two thousand years of people reaching out to God and God responding. So for you, <clears throat> you got to be somewhere in an hour. It only takes half hour to get there. What does that look like if you're just not going to fill up that time? Are you just sitting, or or are you walking, or or how do you just kind of be? Um, either sitting or or walking. Um, honestly, there's some chores that I can do around the house that are mindless enough, like dusting, that it's I can kind of meditate and put myself in that sort of mindset while still doing something. Um, but for the most part, I would say you don't want to be doing anything that's going to occupy your mind. So, like walking, that's something that I've, I've definitely done and basically sort of talked with God the entire time that I was was walking. Um, but when you're first starting out, sometimes just sitting, like really not doing anything. You might even close your eyes. Not a good thing to do if you're sleep deprived and <laughs> you might pass out. Mm-hmm. But if you are properly rested, you can just sort of close your eyes and just sort of open yourself up. Well, what's hard not to maybe impossible not to be thinking about something like even um, if someone is wanting to like in meditation get close to not thinking about something mm-hmm. they're going to think about their breath or they're going to think about something real non I don't know uh, that doesn't really occupy their their mind but they're you know it's you can't like just say well, I'm going to not think about anything you got to think about something real basic or well, something it, like that it is true that you're not shutting your senses off Okay. So you're still going to, to smell things. You're, you're still going to hear things. Um, 
depending on where you ha- you have your your hands or if there's wind blowing on you, you're gonna feel things. But just don't take your mind down a path where you're sitting there and you're suddenly like, oh, yeah, in two days I have to do this thing and I have to to, to plan for it. And then you immediately start going down that path of now I'm doing something. Right. Um, But, yeah, I'm not saying like, empty your mind and become a vegetable you know that's right that's not actually possible (laughs) frankly and even if you know some of the eastern religions that are into like meditation they'll actually have you like focus on the rhythm of your breathing Mm -hmm. um or some sort of physical sensation that happens in a pattern uh, whether it's your heartbeat or something else um, that they use but I don't, right. I don't find that that's necessary. Okay. Well, good. That's a good description. Now, this is just kind of out of the blue. I'm a part of a little group that just this week started in on uh, Genesis 1 and so forth. Okay. And that's kind of brought up just things I've been thinking about. Like I noticed that some people, even in our group, um, have more of, I call it kind of more of a fundamentalist attitude. Um about, um, you know, kind of seeing uh, Genesis 1, you know, describing the way God created and um, and kind of, um, you know, bringing their understanding of science into it, trying to make them conform and so forth. And then um, others in our group are, are kind of more like, well, that's not the the point um and we're, we may be missing the point if that's our focus um and um and they're kind of more of like um i don't know like looking at something else in it do you have any thoughts about that about how you view scripture um do you view it kind of um more as i don't know like trying to follow rules of literature or do you um, um, you have any thoughts about just how you regard things like that so I was raised to take scripture literally okay these days I still mostly follow that especially like in, in the gospels where it's recorded that Jesus is talking like if Jesus says something Jesus meant to say that right um, barring the occasional argument over whether it's been translated into English accurately, um, but like in the original source, what Jesus said is what Jesus meant to say. Now, to go to Genesis 1 and the creation story, I know people that take that very literally that when it says, well, you know, God made, you know, whatever, like on day one, he makes light. And the evening and the morning was the first day. And so they're like, well, that, that means that he did it in a very specific 24-hour time window. And I'm like, well, I mean, he didn't actually make the sun and the stars and the moons of day three or day four or something like that. So, like, how would we even measure that when the things we used to measure that didn't exist yet? Mm-hmm. So I don't take it that literally. Um, in fact, it's honestly been a little while since I have read Genesis 1, but I don't remember in Genesis 1, it's specifically saying that God even creates water. It says that he separated the water from the land. Hmm, But it it doesn't say that he creates water. So, that's one of the reasons that I don't take that literally is because, well, that doesn't make sense. Um, But also, if you read it, especially in the King James, which a lot of the more literal (laughs) minded readers of, of Scripture prefer, it's a very poetic style of writing. It has a specific rhythm to it. It kind of, of rhymes every day, ends the same until you get to the very end. Um, so I don't take all of that Old Testament stuff literally. There are some, what I believe, what I would call poetic ways that scripture is, is written. 
Okay. Well, thanks. Um, I was going to ask, you know, what's life all about for you? I jotted down some notes here, and I'm just looking at them. But um, with Christianity is your fundamental way of being in the world, then I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that's the answer. But, like, within Christianity, you know, from the Christian perspective, you, you know, according to the way you see it, why do you exist? Like, what? Or what's your mission so well, Why do as a I human? exist? I exist because it pleases God that I exist. Hmm. Yeah. Um, that probably gets back to the fact that for pretty much all of my life that I can remember, I felt God's, God's presence. Um, but I've always felt like I'm here because it pleases God that I'm here and he wants me to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, sometimes if you find yourself in an unpleasant situation, you, you, you might be like, why did you think this was a good idea, God? Um, but I would say that it ultimately come, comes down to that, that yeah. you know, I exist because it makes God happy that I exist. Yeah, that does seem like a lot of answers that could be given to that. It seems like, well, you get go further back than that, you know, but you can't hardly go further back than just being God's pleasure because yeah. it's not like he had to create us but we were here yeah. so it's just it must be it was he was pleased to do yeah. it his for us pleasure yeah I mean we're, we're here because God wants us here and I don't fully understand how he gains pleasure from us running around being a bunch of crazy idiots all the time but he does somehow right yeah what causes you to grow as a person? What causes me to grow as a person? Well, as un- unpleasant as it, it is, it's usually struggles. Um, you, you grow as a person when you have to, to struggle with something, whether it is, I'm trying to learn a new skill, and that takes effort. Sometimes it's really frustrating and say to go back to guitar you're working on a on a more difficult chord or you're using an alternate tuning on your guitar and you're trying to figure out how to make that work right and your fingers aren't wanting to hold the chord properly um and it can be frustrating because it doesn't sound right and you you know what you're trying to do and it's just not not working and so you have to fight through that and not give up um there is a now, I can't say young boy anymore because he's, he's 17. There's a boy named David who I spent about five and a half years mentoring in kind of a big brother style relationship. And that was a big thing for him is whenever he first came into a struggle with something, he wanted to quit because he didn't like actually having to put in the effort to fight through whatever the, the, the difficulty was. I saw that a lot with him with video games. Um, you know, a lot of video games start out f- fairly easy. You can figure out how to do the first level or two. Then, then you get to the first boss that you have to defeat. And the difficulty ramps up very intentionally. And he would be like, all right, this isn't fun anymore. I, I quit. Well, you're never going to grow with that type of attitude, right? Um, and also, to put more of a spiritual side on it, like you, you grow in faith in God and your spiritual reliance on God when you find yourselves in situations when that is kind of the only choice that you have. Um, those, those darker times in life where maybe you have a failed relationship or you find yourself in a life situation where you're like, all right, my job kind of sucks and I hate it and my friends are all jerks and, I, you know, life is just not going well right right now. You have certain goals that you aren't, aren't achieving and you have to kind of work through that, you know. We're sitting here in a park where I'm looking at a bunch of, of trees um, when the wind blows on the trees, if it's a strong wind and it's a young tree that doesn't have much of a root, 
it could blow over, right? But when the wind blows, if the tree doesn't blow over, it puts its roots deeper. So it's those times that aren't fun when you're struggling against something where you really grow. Okay, thanks. So you're a single person mm-hmm. at, um, you said 48? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you've always intended to be or if it's just how it had worked out. Um, but I just thought I'd ask you about, like, are there advantages to being a single person? Um, and just what have you learned about friendship and um, community and stuff like that? So what are your thoughts about being single? So there's a lot of different directions that we could take that type of conversation. I will say that I am the kind of person that I've never felt like I needed to be married. I've known people who totally felt that way from like the instant that puberty kicked in. You know, they're like, I need somebody. I've never been that type of of person. Um, I have, you know, I've dated women before just because I might meet someone that I'm very interested in them. But there are a number of, of people, and I feel like the majority of, of people, they always feel like, you know, I have this, this space. This space has to be filled with somebody at all times. And so a lot of times that, that leads them into relationships with people that never made sense for them in the first place, but they were available. Um, and so being single like, and not feeling the need to always be in a relationship, I've avoided those kinds of, of problems. Um, I would say that there are aspects of being symbol or symbol single that are probably more difficult. Um, just from the standpoint of if there's something to be done, I'm doing it myself. <laughs> I don't have a, a partner to team with <laughs> to tackle things. I have to handle everything. But of course, being single, I don't have children, which is often what takes up the most time for a couple, mm-hmm. uh, as I'm sure that you know. Um, but I am probably because I'm so strongly introverted. I actually like being by myself most of the time. I have a handful of friends that when I want to be around somebody that I can can contact and will hang out, play a game, go to a movie, whatever. Um, But for the most part, I don't feel that need to be around other people. Um, In modern times with all of the telecommunications advances that we've had over the last 30, 40 years, you know, with internet, email, instant messaging, you know, like we set this up through Facebook Messenger, you know, kind of of thing. That frankly kind of makes it easier because you can be in conversation, quote unquote, with, with people through like texting or a chat app. And you don't have to be in the same place with them. Um, And there's also, you know, Bible study groups um, that I'm in, or there's a a nominally Catholic religious journal called First Things that I'm in a, a group that we get together usually once a month and discuss articles in the most recent issue. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I have various ways of staying in touch with other people. I'm not a hermit. Um, I'm not cloistered. I'm not a monk. But I really have always been the kind of, of person where I'm fine by myself. In fact, I've lived by myself for 24 years now. Mm-hmm. So are the people that you're close, like your close community, mm-hmm. is that your family then? Um, I would say family as well as some of my friends that I'm, that I'm close to that I see on a pretty regular basis. And when I'm not seeing them, we're talking on the phone or texting. Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, there's something going on at your job and you want to complain about it to somebody who's going to understand it and like your mom or dad aren't going to understand it especially if they didn't work in the same industry that that you do right like i can complain about auditing to my dad but he worked in the auto industry like what does he know about it right um so 
I, it's, it's important to have those friends that are in your same life stage or in your same profession. Um, but there's also benefits to having solid relationships with people that are outside of those areas. Like there's, uh, so I'm, I'm going to go back to when I lived in Virginia and the church that I went to there had a fairly sizable single adult ministry. Um, now, one of the reasons for that was that's in the D.C. area, and the D.C. area is very transient. People come in, they're there for one, two, three years, and then they, they leave, whether they're military, whether they're working for a senator or representative on the Hill, um, whether they're just doing an internship at a government agency, whatever. Um, and so, like, there was a, a lady, and I can't remember her name off the top of, of my head, but she was in her 60s. She was, I think she was divorced, but I could be misremembering that. But she was the kind of person who was young at heart. And there were a lot of the young single ladies in the group in their 20s. They would love to hang out with her. And she loved hanging out with them. And they were not in the same life stage at all. But when you've lived many decades, you have wisdom. You have hard-earned experience that you can share with other people. And so just locking yourself into, like if I'm in my, my 20s, I'm only going to hang out with people in my 20s. Well, you're missing out on that wisdom and experience that you can get from other people um, that are in different life stages, if that makes sense. Yeah. So as far as like practicing any kind of community or friendship, regular routines and stuff, I guess you mentioned that group you're a part of, the, the Catholic part. Is there anything else as far as um, just the way that you grow relationships or relationships with other people? It's, in, it's being intentional about stuff. Um, you know, like, don't be the kind of person that always just sits around and waits to be invited to do things by other people. You need to invite other people to do things. Even if it's just, hey, let's go watch a movie. Or even if it's just, you know hey, I saw this TV show and I know that it's going to be your kind of, of thing. You should come over and let's watch it together mm-hmm. and then talk about it kind of a thing. Or, you know, more organized institutions like churches like to have those weekly Bible studies where you, you're going to be seeing the same people usually at the same time every week. Um, so that's sort of putting an intentional structure around it. I think more extroverted people don't need that because they're generally driven to be around other people all the time. As an introvert, where I'm not driven to be around other people, I find that I need to be more intentional about making those things happen. Yeah. Um, is there any kind of particular kind of church fellowship that you really enjoy? Like, do you, is it just walking into a church service and kind of being a part of it? Or is it getting together with a small group or just one other person or any kind of way of like, I don't know, doing Christianity with other people that, um, you know, it means the most to you. So what means the most to me is actually serving together with other people, Um, whether that's some sort of short-term mission project, whether it is um, working in children's ministry, whether it's, and I'll use this as an example, because like I was an usher at the church that I currently go to for like 11 years. Um, But for me, working towards the same goal, the same task with people is the best way that I have of developing relationships with them. Yeah. Um, It's almost that I've never been in the military, so I can't speak with personal experience, but you hear of that that phrase like brothers in arms, where people who have fought together feel that kinship with the people that they fought alongside. Um, So I I think it's sort of that concept, just to a lesser degree, because it was a less intense situation, you know, 
ushering and fighting in a war are not the same thing. <laughs> I'm right. not trying to say that it is. But it's that you're working together with people towards the same goal, working together to achieve the same thing helps bring people together. And I, I found yeah. that that works the, the best for, for me in developing relationships with, with people. Yeah, I've been thinking about that. Like an intimate relationship, like a man and a wife, um, it seems like that could maybe exist just for the sake of the relationship because you just need somebody to be close to or something like that. But when it comes to like a friendship, it almost seems like it doesn't make so much sense. Well, let's be friends for the sake of the friendship. It's more like a common pursuit or something along those lines that brings people together. If I've worked with someone to achieve something and therefore I've learned that I can rely on them, Mm -hmm. that makes me want to develop a deeper relationship with them. It's like, ah, okay, this, this person... I've seen the way that they have, have worked. I've seen the way that they have achieved this goal that, that we were working towards t- together. And so I am, I'm going to use the, the term attracted, not in a sexual way, but just like, this is the kind of person that I want to spend time with because I know that I can rely on them, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Any... Um kind of practices or routines that you have that are meaningful to you? <laughs> practices or routines? Um, the only one that I can think of is I am the kind of, of person that for whatever reason I can't just get up in the morning and go. I need a time to sort of ramp things up. I'm like an old computer that when you you turn it on, it seems like the boot-up sequence takes a really long time. Um, Are you a a night person? I am not. Okay. I see. I'm the kind of of person, if the sun is up, I'm up. Okay. So in the summer, I just don't sleep all that much. Let's just be honest about it, because you can't really, like, go to bed till at least 10, sometimes even later, and then, like, at 4.30, the light is, you know, shining through the window, right? Um... So I'm definitely the kind of person that I, I wake up when the sun is up. And so I feel like I will get up and I was like, okay, I can't just get immediately go to work if it's a, a, a work day. So I'm usually at work around like 745. I can leave my house about 725. I'll get up at six. And it does not take me that, that long to get cleaned up and get dressed and eat, eat breakfast. But I will spend some time just reading news on my iPad. Or maybe I'm playing a game on my iPad. Something to sort of like get the brain starting to, to kick over. I need to engage it with something for a while to sort of get fully awake. Doesn't mean that there aren't days where I get get to work and I was like, I don't know how I even got here. I don't, I don't even really like remember anything in the morning because it took that that long to get ramped up. Some some days, but but most days, I would say I I need a good hour or so to just sort of eat breakfast, drink coffee, and just sort of get the brain ticking over. Um, but other than than that, I don't really have any kind of r- routine. I don't always eat eat lunch or dinner at the same time. Um, it isn't like, oh, every Saturday at two o'clock, I'm going to this particular place or anything like that. Have you heard of Wim Hof on YouTube? Could you repeat that, please? Wim Hof? No. Um, he's a Danish guy. No. He advocates, um, cold water exposure. I was just thinking what you need is the practice of stepping out of bed into a cold shower and you'll, you'll step out of that shower full of ambition and ready to go. <laughs> I have tried that before, and I step out of the shower hating my life and everything that has led me to that point. I do not like cold showers. Yeah. Um, have, has there been any books, people, or events that have made like a big splash on your life impact? So I will say... Probably the thing that made the biggest impact on my life was when I got out of graduate school, 
I took a job in Washington, D.C., and I went to graduate school at the University of Missouri-Columbia. Um, and so, you know, I was moving halfway across the country to a place where the only person that I knew was my cousin who was in the Marines. At the time that I moved out there, he was in officer training in, in Quantico, Virginia, which was like an hour, hour 15 minutes drive south of Arlington, which is where I lived. So I saw him a few times when I was there, but I definitely didn't move there because he was, he was there. It was one of those things where it was like, this is probably the one time in my life when I can really have this kind of adventure because I'm young, I don't have a lot of physical possessions, I can just sort of pick myself up and move halfway across the, the country and just sort of figure it out. But as a very introverted person moving to a place where, and I was... I was on the shy side when I was, was younger, too, which is different from being introverted. Um, if you want me to talk about that, I can talk about that. But if you understand how those are different, then we don't need to. But just moving to a place where I didn't really know anybody, took a job where I didn't know anybody, I had to learn how to navigate a new city, a city definitely larger than St. Louis, um, on my own. That forced me to grow in a lot of different ways. Um, sort of putting myself in a more stressful situation where I don't have the comfort zone of having friends that I've known for decades. I don't have family around to help out if something goes goes wrong. I have to develop those networks on my own. Um, and so I would say that was probably a very formative ad adventure for me. And I, I developed some really good friendships with people that I met in that area, some of, of which have continued to this day, people that I still keep in touch with, people that I have gone back out east to visit. Oh, yeah. Um, That's cool. Yeah, because um, that is, you know, again, we were all sort of in that same boat where it's like we're all, we've, we've moved to this area where we don't necessarily know any anybody, and so you sort of develop almost a quasi-family with your good good friends through those shared experiences and shared shared life struggles early in your career. You know, it sounds like you have a pretty close relationship with your parents, or I imagine mm -hmm. you do. Yes. So is there, like I'm a father of adult children, mm -hmm. is there anything that um, you really appreciate um, from your parents, um, you know, as an you know, adult, more of a peer-to-peer -peer relationship than, you know, when you were a kid. But, like, uh, anything that they're doing well that you appreciate when it comes to, your, you know, your relationship with them or and that type of thing? I'm not really sure how to answer that, qu that question, to be honest. Um, It's been interesting seeing how my parents, they almost seem like different people now. Mm -hmm. um, I remember a comment that my dad made probably like two decades ago when all of my, my brothers and I, we were all out of the house. And it was, you know, my, my parents were empty nesters at that point. My dad made a, a comment where it's like, hey, I've got the woman that I married back. And at the time, I was like, that's a really weird comment. But then, you know, as you live your, your life, you pay attention to what's going on around you. And, man, there's a lot of people. When they become parents, they change. Hmm. And so I think this was more of my parents kind of changing back. Mm -hmm. to probably the people that they were before they had children. And I will be honest, my brothers and I were probably not the easiest kids to raise. I'm sure that we were stressful in a lot of, of ways, part of it various health issues that all of us have had, um, part of it just because we were rambunctious boys. <laughs> you know, boys can be not so easy to raise. Um, but, you know, like I remember my dad... As a kid, he was always so serious all the time. and Maybe he actually wasn't. 
but that's what I remember is he was very serious all the time. He was the disciplinarian in the household. Like when I was a kid, I can't even tell you what my dad ever did for fun. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, he didn't, he like, we didn't go to see movies that I can really remember. Maybe a handful of times we did. Um, you know, I don't remember my dad really having a hobby other than he liked to work on cars because that's what he did for a living. He was an automotive guy, right? So you have your, your hobby car that you're always tinkering with. Um, but definitely didn't have the same interests that I did. Um, you know, whereas like now that he's retired and, and older, it's like he goes to see movies like every week, it seems like. Um, he sometimes comes in and joins the Thursday night board game group that I play games with. Um, you know, we'll talk about books that we've read or TV shows that, that we've, we've seen. And it's like, oh, here's a person who doesn't just work 24 hours a day and serve at the church that we were, were members at for the rest of that time. And, he, you know, he's actually having, having fun and he's a well-rounded person now. Um, so it's, it's been interesting seeing that aspect of, and maybe that was always there and I just didn't see it as a kid because when you're an introverted kid, a lot of times your, your universe doesn't extend very far beyond, out beyond you. And I know I didn't pay a lot of attention to what other people were doing around me when I was a kid. Um, but you know, seeing, seeing my, my parents as more well-rounded people rather than just my parent, that's, (laughs) that's probably the best answer that I can give to that question. Yeah. Well, I'm fine with wrapping up, but is there anything that you would like to bring up before we do? Mm. No, I don't have any particular topic that I wanted to discuss that we haven't already touched on. Okay. What's well, been good? Um, I'm, I'm just impressed with all my guests, how articulate they are and how well they answer these, because I, I know it's not easy um, just off the spur of the moment to give answers to kind of questions that need to be thought out sometimes but anyway you did a really good job and um i think um it's a good conversation that uh, i'll enjoy listening to again so anyway thanks aaron appreciate it yes thank you for inviting me to join your program